Isn't worship powerful? Wasn't that great worship today by our worship team? You know, they come up here and practice during the week. They come here early. They play through two services. They really uh, invest the use of their talents. And uh, there is, for me personally, there's nothing more powerful than worship. Uh, I may be the only one, but once I hear a worship song and it reaches me, I just play it over and over and over and over. My family makes fun of me. I have a 45-minute drive to work, and I'll get a new song that's in my soul. 45 minutes I listen to it going to work. 45 minutes I listen to it coming home. I'll do it for weeks at a time. And that song we just sing, Raise a Hallelujah, that's what that song did to me. Um, the, The song speaks about the power of worship and how we can declare God's power over any circumstance in our life. Regardless of what the circumstances are around us, we can praise God, right? And there's power in that, not only for us, but for those that are around us that hear us praising him. So what is a hallelujah? It's a spontaneous expression of joy. It's thanksgiving. It's praise toward God. It could be something simple like, I praise you, Lord. I love you. Thank you, Jesus. It could be just a whisper. Father, I love you. It could be anything that's an outward expression of the inner feeling that you have about the relationship with your Lord. That is a hallelujah. The song was birthed by a congregation that had a young couple. uh, They had a newborn child. And the child became gravely ill to the point of death. And they took it to the hospitals in intensive care. And word went out across the congregation what was going on. And they began to unsolicitedly come to the church as a group. And they began to praise God and thank him, thank him for his power and his presence and for the uh, miracles that can happen when we praise him. And it was out of that praising and worshiping and asking God to do a miracle in this child's life that came the song, Raise a Hallelujah. Raise a hallelujah. Raising a hallelujah can be seen as an outward sign of what's going on on the inside. In this song, if you listen to it live, the leader of the song pauses at some point and he starts talking about the power of a hallelujah. And he's encouraging people to raise a hallelujah. And he says, raise it like a flag. Raise it like a banner. Lift it high. Raise a hallelujah. I love symbolism. I love it. And that's what this lesson is all about, and that's what these flags are all about, because I'm going to talk about flags a little bit in the lesson. But I'll encourage you sometimes to raise a hallelujah, to show me your flag so that you're out there with me and you're encouraging me. Alan preaches all the time. He makes it so easy. For me, this is a stretch to get up here and do this. On June the 18th, 1812, America declared war on Great Britain after a series of trade disagreements. We don't hear a lot about this. You know, we hear about the Revolutionary War and the Civil War and the wars after that. But in the War of 1812, uh, Great Britain and the United States were in a battle. On August, the four, August 1914, the British troops invaded Washington, D.C., and they burned the White House. And they burned the Capitol building. 
and they burned the Library of Congress. And their next target was Fort McHenry outside of Baltimore. And the belief was if they were to defeat Fort McHenry and take down Baltimore, they could win the war. So armies from both countries had captured many prisoners, and both sides agreed to a prisoner exchange. And the negotiator for the United States was rowed out to the ship where many of the prisoners were being held in the bows of the ship, and he negotiated for a one-on-one exchange of prisoners. However, the negotiator and the prisoners weren't allowed to leave until after the British bombardment of Fort McHenry, which was guarding Baltimore. The British planned to bring the full force of their naval bombardment against Fort McHenry, and word was sent to the fort to lower their flag and surrender or be destroyed. The fort declined. If the fort was lost and Baltimore was destroyed, the war could be lost. So the full force of the British ships began firing upon the fort while the negotiator watched from the bridge of the ship. All day, the cannons roared, and the negotiator would yell down to the prisoners in the bow of the boat, the flag still flies. The the cannons roared for the remainder of the day and on into the night. And sometimes during the night, with the bombs hitting the fort and with the fire coming back toward the ship, the negotiator could see that the flag was flying, and he would yell down to the prisoners, the flag still flies! Then it got dark, completely dark. No more shots being fired, and the negotiator stood on the bow of the boat, and he waited. And at sunrise, when he could barely see in the distance, he looked out toward Fort McHenry, and the flag was still flying. And he yelled, the flag still flies. Can you raise your flag to that? The negotiator, standing on the bow of that boat, pinned the words to this song. The national anthem, the star-spangled banner. Francis Scott Keyes was the negotiator. Oh, say does that star-spangled banner yet wave o'er the land of the free and the home of the brave. Means, brings new meaning to that, doesn't it? Now, I know the flag did not actually fight the fight. The flag didn't fire a shot. The flag wasn't wounded. The flag didn't bleed. But the flag, because it flew, said... We are here. We're victorious. We have overcome. As followers of Christ, when we raise a hallelujah, when we fly our flag, we are saying the same thing. We have overcome. We are victorious. We have a Savior. When do we do that? Well, the Scripture says we raise a hallelujah at all times. But having said that, I'd like to focus on five key points in our life that we should be even more aware that we need to raise a hallelujah. Raise a hallelujah 
when God's timing doesn't match ours. Have you ever questioned God's timing? Have you ever been given a word and it hadn't come to pass? Have you ever found that scripture and it spoke to you and you stand on it and you stand on it and it still hadn't come to pass? Have you ever seen promises that were made? You believe God spoke to you and you're standing on that promise and you haven't seen it? Have sometimes you felt like God may have forgotten you? David was a shepherd boy who became David the king. Most likely in his mid, early, mid-teens, so that's when he was anointed to be king, not crowned. He was anointed to be king when he was in his mid to early teens. So we'll say, let's just say he's 13 years old for the sake of the lesson. A 13-year-old boy anointed to be king. And David was not crowned king until he was 30 years old. 13 years old, 30 years old. Now we know David had a special relationship with the Lord. I mean, what little boy, what young teenager kills lions and bears? Um, This boy does. And this boy was anointed to be king because of what the Lord saw in him. He had a special relationship with God. Jehovah wasn't just his God. Jehovah was his father, his heavenly father, and he trusted him with his life, clearly. Because of David's relationship with the Lord, he could worship and praise the Lord in all circumstances. He knew when and how to raise a hallelujah. Between the ages of 13 and 30, David didn't go around just slaying giants. He didn't sit at the king's table and eat fine food all the time. He didn't live a life of luxury while waiting to sit on the throne. Sometimes David was running for his life, often separated from his family, hungry, living in caves. Yet even in those circumstances, which went on for a number of years, He never stopped flying the flag of victory. He never stopped raising a hallelujah. After all, he was appointed to be a king, not someone that lived in a cave. Where was God? Where was his promise? I don't know if David ever answered those questions, or, or if he could answer those questions at the time, but he could write and sing and raise a hallelujah. In Psalms 27, verses 1 through 3, a song of trust in God. David writes, The Lord is my light and the one who saves me, so why should I fear anyone? The Lord protects my life, so why should I be afraid? Evil people may try to destroy my body, my enemies, and those who hate me attack me, but they are overwhelmed and defeated. If an army surrounds me, I will not be afraid. If war breaks out, I will trust the Lord. That is raising a hallelujah. When we openly and outwardly acknowledge the hope that we have through Christ, we offer a living testimony of God's goodness and love. We not only encourage ourselves, but those who are around us. 
David trusted in the Lord and accepted that his timing was perfect. David had faithful men and women that stood by him through this test of time. He wasn't alone in the cave. He wasn't alone running for his life. If David had grumbled and complained and raised a flag of bitterness or unforgiveness, do you think his men would have been motivated to stay with him? When you raise a flag of hallelujah, you are doing it for more than yourself. The Lord's timing is always perfect. In 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slow to keep his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The Lord's timing is perfect. One of my favorite movies is The Patriot. I've probably watched it more than any other movie. I, watch it, I try to watch it every 4th of July. I don't know if you've seen it or not, but it's a very inspiring story. Uh, the main character is Benjamin Martin. Benjamin Martin was a French-Indian war hero who was haunted by his past, and he wants nothing to do with the war against Great Britain when the Revolutionary War broke out. His two eldest sons, Gabriel and Thomas, they can't wait to enlist in the army of the Continental, uh, the Continental Army. Thomas is killed. And Benjamin Martin quickly finds himself drawn into becoming a leader in the Continental Army. He ends up playing a key role in the Americas winning the war, but it comes at a great sacrifice. Gabriel his oldest son is also killed. And upon Gabriel's death, Martin gives up. He quits. All hope seems lost for not only Benjamin Martin, but for the Continental Army. But things turn for the better when Benjamin Martin finds the Continental Army flag that Gabriel had held so dearly. Gabriel had found the flag on the battlefield. It was torn and ripped and he had meticulously tried to sew it back together, and he had completed it right before he was killed. Benjamin Martin finds this flag after he says he's done, and it inspires him to resume the fight. Watch this clip and pay close attention to not only the flag, but watch what happens as to the army as the flag goes by.
Benjamin Martin's two sons were still dead. And at that time, the war was still, the, 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 uh, the outcome of the war was still in question. The only thing that had changed was what was inside of Benjamin Martin. The circumstances hadn't changed, but he had changed. And because he changed, those around him changed. As Christians, we cannot allow our current circumstances to rob us of the truths that we hold to. Just as soldiers in the video looked at the flag and Benjamin Martin were reminded of what they were fighting for, so too must we gaze upon the cross, remind ourselves that the tomb is empty, read in God's word the promises that give us hope, and remind ourselves that the battle has already been fought and won, regardless of the circumstances. Can I raise a hallelujah with you? We need to hold fast to truth. John 3.16, we all know it. For God loved the world so much that he gave his only son so that anyone who believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. If we believe that, if we truly believe that, that is a hope that no outer circumstance can ever quench. It is a hope that allows us, regardless of what's going on outside of us, we can raise a hallelujah. Raise a hallelujah when you're under attack. <clears throat> As citizens of a nation that was founded on God's word, and make no mistake, even a cursory review of the history of the United States backs up that statement. It was founded on God's word. We take for granted the privileges of being able to freely worship the Lord. This is a freedom guaranteed by our Constitution, but it is a freedom that is under attack. The early followers of Christ were greatly persecuted. The scriptures tell us that. In fact, the scripture, scriptures promises that, promise that. In 2 Timothy 3.12 it says, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Jesus Christ will be persecuted. <coughs> In 2 Corinthians, Paul writes, Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so in far more labors and far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from countrymen, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers in the sea, dangers among false brethren. That is being under attack. That is being persecuted. The scripture says that if we are followers of Christ, we will be persecuted. Uh, my prayer is not to be persecuted anything like what we just witnessed or, or read or what I'm going to share with you. But if we live a life where we are never uncomfortable about anything, anybody seeing us as a Christian, I mean, if, if we're never made uncomfortable because we are a Christian, then it may very well be because people don't see that we are Christians. 
I know for a fact if you stand up for what you believe, you just stand up for the Word of God, that you will be persecuted. Can you raise a hallelujah to that? <laughs> this is persecution. Open Door Ministries figures from 2017. The top 50 countries world watch list. Two, 245 million Christians in the world experience high levels of persecution for their choice to follow Christ. One in nine Christians worldwide experience high levels of persecution. 14% rise in the number of Christians who experience high levels of persecution. 4,136 Christians killed in 2017 for faith-related reasons. 2,625 Christians detained without trial, arrested and sentenced to prison. 1,260 churches or uh, Christian buildings were burned or destroyed. Seven of the churches in the worldwide list top ten. The primary cause of persecution is, is Islamic oppression. Eleven countries scoring in the extreme level for their persecution of Christians. Five years ago, North Korea was the only one that was scored. 18 consecutive years, North Korea has ranked number one as the world's most dangerous place for Christians. Every month, 105 churches attacked, burned, or vandalized. Every day, 11 Christians killed for their faith in the top 50 worldwide uh, <coughs> countries. Thank you. That's 50 countries. But I wonder if there should be a 51 countries. Should the United States be on this list? It's a little bit of a stretch, but I put it up there because I want to call your attention to something specifically that goes on in our country. And there's a lot that we could speak to. Uh, don't get me wrong, there's so much good in this country. And God is moving in so many ways and changing so many lives. But there are so many things that go on in this country that I know cry out to God for justice. And this is one of them. Abortion statistics. <clears throat> 881,000 abortions took place in the United States in 2017. 80 million legal abortions have taken place from 1973 to 2018. 80 million. In 2014, approximately 19% of U.S. pregnancies ended in abortion. 19%. In 2013, only nine countries in the world have a higher reported abortion rate than the United States. Look at me for a second. So I'm, I'm drawing attention to abortion, right? And statistics would say there's probably women in this congregation or people here today that have had abortion. I'm not here to throw a stone at you. 
because there's people in this church that have lied and stealed and gossiped and committed, been angry enough to murder people. There may be people here that have murdered people. It's not my intent to call out any individual or single out any one sin other than I do want to point this out, that our nation is at a point in, is at a point in time where we have to cry out and stand up for the rights of the unborn. There's laws pending right now in which a newborn, they're born, they're new, a little baby, has drawn a breath. And if this law passes, that newborn can be denied care. It can essentially be allowed to die. Partial birth abortion was an unspeakable thing to think of, but to me this takes it a step further. And I have to believe at some point that the blood of the unborn child will call out for justice. Do your part, whatever the Lord places on your heart to do. This is a place of forgiveness. So if you experience something like that in your life, this is a place to come for healing. This is a place to come for forgiveness. Raise a hallelujah when you need freedom. In Acts 16, 25-26, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, raising a hallelujah. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a violent earthquake which shook the prison to its foundation. At once all the doors opened and the chains fell off all the prisoners. Raising hallelujah and this miracle occurred. They were physically released from their shackles. But more happened than that because in addition to them being released, the scripture goes on to speak about the, the uh, jailer and his family crying out for help. He was going to take his life, and he said, don't harm yourself. And they minister to him. And the jailer gets saved, and his family gets saved. And in the end, the, the Romans come to uh, Paul and Silas and said, get your stuff, get out of here. They were, they were set free. But I want to point out that in this scripture, the raising of a hallelujah goes far beyond just freeing the ones that raise the hallelujah. Remember I talked about how raising a hallelujah, praising God, not only is for your benefit, for, for those around you. I mean, by them raising a hallelujah, they're being set free. A family got saved. And who knows what happened from there. But we can be set free from so many things in our life. We can be in bondage to drugs. We can be in bondage to sin. We can be in bondage to fear or unforgiveness. We can be in bondage to depression. There, is, there isn't anything that we're in bondage to that raising a hallelujah cannot set us free from. To be clear, when I say raising a hallelujah, I'm not saying that you just raise a hallelujah, <laughs> right? Remember, raising a hallelujah is an outward expression 
of something that's going on in you inwardly. Raising hallelujah is praising God and it's worshiping God. And you may say, I, don't, I can't do that. Well, then you need to get in a position where you can do it. And you get in that position by developing a relationship with the Lord, by accepting Christ as your Savior, by getting in His Word, by surrounding yourself with people that can teach you and bring you up and help you learn how to raise a hallelujah. Can I get an amen to that? Raise a hallelujah in times of disappointment. In a very recent event in the life of one of the members of my family, um, I want to get it up here on my phone, so it's too small to read up there. We, we experience a real disappointment. Uh, we haven't shared that with many people. Uh, but let me, and I, underst- I understand how in the midst of this disappointment our family went through. I understand now how we could praise God through this, right? How we could worship God. How we could raise a hallelujah. Something very, in fact, exactly like this happened 27 years ago uh, to a couple that was in a church in San Antonio. We lived in San Antonio before we moved here. And there was a couple there in their late 30s, maybe early 40s, and they'd been believing for for their first child. And uh, the congregation was quite a bit larger than this. It wasn't huge, but you you didn't know everybody, but you kind of knew about what was going on, right? So I didn't know this couple, but I was aware that, wow, they were expecting their first child, and they were so excited, and you could just, you just, just see, see it, just their excitement, and it just beamed all this happiness, right? And uh, at some point, not too far long, into the, well, it was a little ways into the pregnancy, they had a miscarriage. And so the pastor was talking to us about it at church. And he said that he, when he was on his way to church, the, the hospital, the minister, this couple, he's like, oh, Lord, you've got to give me the words to share. You know, help me, Jesus. And uh, so he's walking down the hall. He walks in the room, and the couple is there praising the Lord. And they said, you want to join us, Pastor? And when I heard that, I didn't get it. 27 years ago, I'm like, I don't, how do you, I don't understand, how, how can you, you know? So, I think it, in fact, I know my inability to understand how people could praise God in a circumstance like this reflected what was not going on inside of me. I mean, I had a relationship with the Lord, I loved the Lord, but I didn't have a relationship with him where I communed with him all the time, where I shared everything with him, where I believe he loved me enough that he had plans for my life. I mean, it was was more of a a pretty regimented way to walk the Christian life. But I began to understand what this couple understood, and 
you know, now I feel like I can in all circumstances praise God. In fact, I know I can. Um, my daughter-in-law, Sloan Clark, posted this. I'm going to attempt to read it. Uh, this was in January 27th. It said, a little over a week ago, our lives unfolded in a different way than we could have ever imagined. Our baby girl, Baylor, was born at 20 weeks and met Jesus face to face. There are no words to describe that, but we felt his provision and presence during the whole experience. Never a path I wanted to take, but I know God is good, and he's still faithful. As terrible as it was, he orchestrated it perfectly and put people in our path to help ease the pain. One of the sweetest moments I will cherish forever is the nursing staff laying their hands on us as we held our baby girl and my doctor sitting beside me in the hospital bed, praying over us. We are trusting in his promise and know it is a painful journey, but we trust in his perfect plan. Thank you for all your prayers and support you have sent to us and our family. We love you. That is raising You can raise a hallelujah regardless of your circumstances. You can stand firm. You should advance. You should not retreat. You should not look back. You should hold the line. Romans 8, 38 and 39 says, For I am persecuted. I am persuaded. I am persuaded. That I have just one wife. <laughs> I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor power nor things present nor things to come nor death nor, nor height or depth nor any creature shall, separa- shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus Christ our Lord. And praise a hallelujah to that. So regardless of what your circumstances are right now that you're faced with, regardless of what it appears that you have to overcome, whatever disappointment you're going through, trust God. Raise a hallelujah to him. I'm going to ask the worship team if they would to come up. Raise a hallelujah when faced when facing the impossible. I believe that everyone's faced with situations, with opportunities in which there seems to be no way to escape. The odds are stacked against you. You come to the realization that you're not smart enough or strong enough or rich enough. You don't have enough resources available to you to overcome what you faced with. It seems hopeless. But what you can see, hear, taste, or touch, if you're in this place right now, or if you find yourself in such a place in the future, remember this. Do not surrender. Do not lower your flag. 
Instead, recognize that you are in the battle and arm up. Ephesians 6.13 says, Therefore, put on the full armor of God. So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. What's this? And then it's time. 
the noise of the war field, shouting, yelling, loved ones calling the loved ones. We hear our group, this group, being called to the front. Our group is at the very front, standing at the gates of the city. And when the gates are open, we're going to march out. We're going to lead the army out. The gates begin to open, and we get the first glimpse of the enemy. There are too many to count. They're too big to see over. They're too big to, too big to see around. And the doors of the gates open wide, and the enemy stands before us, and we step out, and we raise Jerusalem went out and they gathered up all these riches from the slain armies and brought them back in. And it was all done through the power of worship. It was all done through raise a hallelujah. Now your city is not surrounded by armies, right? But I know that you, your families, your friends, your nation, is surrounded by things that you need to raise a hallelujah against. And remember when I talked about raising a hallelujah can not only encourage you, but those around you. You may be the only one that's going to make the difference in your family. You may be the one that says, I'm raising a hallelujah for my family. You may be the only one in your uh, city that says, I'm going to raise a hallelujah for my city you raise a hallelujah and others around you raise a hallelujah. You may be the only one at your job that sees how hopeless things may be, but you don't give up, you don't surrender, you stand firm and you raise a hallelujah. I'm going to ask our prayer team to come forward if they would. Hallelujah. Raise a hallelujah. 
when your timing doesn't line up with God's. Raise a hallelujah when you're under attack. Raise a hallelujah when you need freedom. Raise a hallelujah in time of disappointment. Raise a hallelujah when facing impossible odds. If you find yourself in any of these situations, if you need freedom from anything that's holding you back, this is your opportunity to pray for that. If you need healing,